So we're in Matthew 24. We've been looking at this uh, passage. And um, if you are uh, familiar with most of you, should be with us. The, um, we're going to finish the book this week, or the chapter this week. Uh, we've been looking at uh, the whole overview of eschatology and why um, it's important. And I suggested, I think, a few weeks ago, uh, that there were three reasons why eschatology is important and just this, the study is, uh, of this is important. Certainly, we want to be good Bible teachers. We want to be good. When I say good, I mean we want to be correct in our interpretation, um, and uh, we want to take it seriously. Second uh, Timothy 2.15 gives us a very strong admonition there. And so uh, these things are important. Um, even though there are different views by uh, very godly men throughout the ages, I do think it's important that we don't just uh, slough this off, but that we do our due diligence to see what the Scripture says. Uh, certainly our understanding of passages like Matthew 24 definitely inf- uh, influence how we look at other passages uh, particularly even as some of the uh, uh, minor prophets that Kevin's been going through. Uh, he was looking at Joel 3, uh, 18 through 21. Uh, if Depending on your view of eschatology, you see that as, uh, as the, uh, what Joel's prophecy there is the new heavens and the new earth. Others would see that as the millennium period and the restoration of Israel. So it does affect how you interpret other parts of Scripture, uh, depending on your view um, that you have there. So um, anyway, uh, it, I also suggest that it's a, it, it can influence your political view. Uh, there are those, especially in the United States, that have really strong views towards Israel and think that Israel has the right to the land, and our political views can certainly be swayed by how we understand Israel. Do they have a right to the land? Are they God's chosen people? Is God going to do something with Israel in the future, or as uh, I've suggested, or Israel and the church actually the same. So, uh, depending on your uh, point of view there, uh, it can certainly have um, some influence on us. So, any thoughts or questions before we get up, before we start looking at this? All right. I'm, I've chosen to look at this through the pre-trib, pre-millennial view, which is what we talked about, meaning that... Um, that the uh, Old Testament saints, the Jew, the Israel is separate from the church. The church did not come about until after the uh, day of Pentecost. And the promises that are given through the Old Testament are given to uh, Israel. And, the, and then some of them are fulfilled through the church. We looked at this view has uh, sees a falling away, which uh, some of the other views do, and then there's this rapture, which isn't taught here in Matthew 24, but this rapture that's taught in First uh, Thessalonians 4, where the church will be taken out, and then uh, there will be this seven-year tribulation period. Uh, we also took some time to look at Daniel uh, chapter seven and nine uh, last week and tried to explain how this seven-year tribulation period equates back to Daniel's prophecy of the 70th week of Daniel 
that he predicted uh, from 450 BC to 33 AD to about the time that Christ was crucified. So that's how we're looking at that. In this view, uh, during the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation period, it will be uh, a time of great trial and trouble, and we'll look at that just a minute here. And then at the end of that, Christ will return and uh, come back to earth. And then at that point, there will be a thousand-year period, uh, an actual millennial period where Christ will reign on earth, Israel will be restored to the land, and uh, life will be somewhat as we know it now. Um, but at the end of that thousand-year period, then the judgment, the final judgment will come. So um, the historic premillennial view has a similar view. Uh, sometimes uh, they see the church in Israel more connected. Uh, they do see uh, a tribulation period, but not necessarily a full thousand-year millennial period. So um, there are some differences between the two, very significant differences. As I said before, this view here is more of a modern view, has come about in the last couple hundred years. So uh, as we look at through Matthew 24, uh, I suggested that uh, Jesus uh, is answering the questions of his disciples in verse 1. It says, And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another, and it shall be thrown down. And of course, this happened in 70 AD at the destruction of the temple. And then as he's speaking to the disciples, I think Luke's gospel says there was four disciples or four apostles. They came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be, when the temple is going to be destroyed, and uh, what will be the sign of your coming, and of course, at the end of the age. And so during this discourse here of uh, chapter 24 and 25, I believe Jesus is answering their particular questions uh, as to um, how this things, how things will end. In verses 4 through 14, uh, many of the Bible commentators think this is actually the tribulation period. I take a little different position here. I think this is leading up to the tribulation, up to that seven-year period. I think this will be signs that we will see. Uh, Jesus answered them in verse 7, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name. I am Christ and deceive many. And then he says, but the end is not yet. So there'll be this time of decline here, uh, falling away, as Paul calls it, and the church will be um, uh, still here on earth uh, during that time. Uh, and they will deliver you up, in verse 9, for tribulation to kill you for my name's sake, and you will be hated by all nations. And many will be offended and be betrayed one another, and they will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And so there's this great uh, deception, this great falling away at the end of time, or the end of the um, church age, as it were, uh, before the, the, the rapture and the tribulation. And then in verse 14, uh, 14 or 15 through 26, um, I suggested that that is actually the tribulation period. This is what's described as the tribulation period. We looked at verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet and um, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. 
let them flee to Judea and to the mountains. And so there'll be this time when Daniel, uh, when, in, uh, when Daniel's prophecy was fulfilled originally, I think in 167 uh, B.C. by um, Antiochus Epiphanes, as he was in the literal temple at Jerusalem, there will be another, another one of those, another Antichrist, as it were, during this tribulation period, who will sacrifice on the altar. And that's what Daniel has, is prophesying here. When you see this sign again, you will know that you are in the middle of the tribulation. And then he says, but woe to you who are pregnant and are nursing, and then pray that you may flight. So he gives warning to leave and flee, go into the mountains and hide, as it were, because of this great and terrible uh, tribulation that will be coming upon, uh, coming upon the earth. And then, um, as we looked in verse uh, 27 here, for as lightning cometh from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there will be eagles gathered together. Just a reminder of the great amount that, of people that will be able to see Christ's return. Uh, was it John were you and I talking about this is really the first generation where that's literally possible that uh, because of technology and the internet and satellites that uh, there could be a visible uh, sight of Jesus uh, in all over the world uh, at this particular time uh, and place which is an interesting unique place to live in and then in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened and moon. And so there'll be this great time of, of as it were, upheaval even of the earth uh, after the uh, tribulation. And then the sign of the sun in verse 30, of man will appear in heavens and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they see the man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And of course, in the pre-trib, pre-millennial view, this is when Christ would return. This would be what we call the second coming of Christ and that he would come uh, and establish his kingdom. So I know it's a lot, a lot of review, um, comments, questions before we look at the end of this. He's going to finish in this chapter with a parable and two, a couple of illustrations about uh, to help us understand uh, and how to interpret these scriptures. So any thoughts, comments? All right. Perfectly clear, right? Good. All right. So let's look here. Um, Dave, when Dave gets to 25, there's a couple parables also. Uh, so he's going to end with a parable here in 24, two illustrations, and then he's going to have two parables in 25 uh, to uh, continue to help answer the apostles uh, question. So let's look at verse 31. And he will uh, send his angels with great sound of trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four corners of the earth. This will be the, uh, the dead will be rise. This will be the gathering of the, uh, of the people of God. Uh, there will be every kind of people, every nation and tribe will be gathered as it were. Uh, it, certainly it will be too late. For those who have not uh, bowed the knee to Christ, um, but this is the promise of the 
elect, that God will gather his elect. All those who are in Christ Jesus will certainly be brought. He that began a good work in you will complete it, and this is part of that completion. Uh, Notice the scope of his gathering here, uh, who will be gathered. It's not just for the ones that may have been saved during the tribulation period, for that seven-year period, but they will gather his elect from one end of heaven to the other. This will be the gathering of all that died in Christ, all that have gone to be with Christ. They will be gathered together at this great uh, gathering of the saints uh, in the four corners or the four winds uh, from one end of heaven to the other just represents the totality here. Of There won't be one lost or one left out. Um, so this would be a great gathering of the saints. And of course, this would be uh, from this view here of pre-trib, pre-millennial, this would be preceding the thousand-year period of, of the millennial kingdom that will be uh, on earth when Christ will reign and when Israel will uh, inherit the land. So uh, this is the promise. Um, just as a side note here, uh, this would be the time, as I said, when the Jewish people uh, would inherit the promised land. This is probably one of the big uh, reasons I kind of lean towards this view. I don't think, and I've, I don't think you can uh, come up with a map, but if you look at Genesis, and we won't take time to look there, Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, the scope of the um, promise that was given to Abraham about what the land will encompass, the scope of the whole land, and then you look at Joshua 1 uh, and the promise to Joshua, that was never fulfilled. The Jews never occupied that entire land that, that, uh, that was promised to Abraham. There was, uh, even during the great occupation with Joshua, there was still parts missing. It actually goes from uh, part of Egypt in the north or the south all the way up into Lebanon. Uh, it includes all of modern-day uh, Jordan, uh, Syria, and of course what, what Palestine now occupies is the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. That was all part of the promise given to Abraham uh, in, the, in the book of Genesis, that not only would he be a blessing to all nations, but that he would inherit this land and it would be an everlasting possession for the Jews. I think that will happen uh, during that thousand-year period of time uh, when they will receive the promised land and a full possession. So any thoughts about that or comments? If you do look at a map, you can look at maps of what Joshua conquered, and it doesn't come anywhere near um, what, hap- what was, at least in my view, what, what you read historically and, and go back and read what was promised to Abraham uh, in Genesis 15 and 17. So... Uh, maybe some uh, extracurricular work you might want to take on sometime. All right, let's look at verse 32 here uh, through 35. This is uh, now learn this parable of the fig tree when its branches have already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near, but so also when you see these things, know that it is near at the door. Surely I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away. This is uh, 
Christ giving this, uh, this analogy here, uh, or this, um, uh, this story here, this parable of what it will be like in, uh, in Christ's return. Certainly, Jesus is, certain, is addressing his disciples in the question from verse, uh, verse 3. Um, and so, uh, it is interesting. Uh, if you look back in Matthew 13, uh, does anybody remember uh, what Jesus said the purpose of parables were in Matthew 13? Uh, the disciples asked him that question. Yeah, so part of the reason Jesus used parables, the disciples asked him in chapter 13 of Matthew, uh, verse 10, uh, as Teresa said, he says, why do you speak to them, speaking to the, uh, speaking about the Pharisees? Jesus answered, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And so part of the reason Jesus spoke in parables was to confuse or to hide, as it were, from the truth from the Pharisees. Here in uh, Matthew 24, he's revealing that truth through parables to the uh, apostles here and to the, uh, the true uh, believers that uh, are with the apostles. And so Jesus' parable here is to reveal truth. Uh, Jesus is revealing uh, the truth to disciples. Uh, it, I don't think this is uh, an allegory, but it's an analogy uh, it is exactly what he says. Um, anybody grew up in the 60s and 70s remember what, what the interpretation of this passage was? It has to do with Israel in 1948. Anybody remember that? When, when, we were, when I was growing up years ago, um, one of the interpretations, which I think is a wrong interpretation, and history has proved it wrong, is that uh, in 1948, Israel became a, uh, declared a nation. I think it was in 1947, the UN voted uh, to um, allow Israel to have a portion of the land and Palestine to have a portion of the land. And so they became a nation again at that time. It had been under British rule for, for many years. Um, and so one of the interpretations that was very popular in the 60s and 70s, I can remember particularly being at a church camp when this view was, uh, was espoused, was that the, um, the fig tree is Israel, and the branch, the, the budding of the fig tree has to do with the new birth of Israel, as it were, that they, they became a nation. And so the view was that, Christ would return in th this generation then would refer to people alive from 1948 to whatever generation is, 40, 50 years. Well, all of a sudden, 2000 passed, 2008 passed, and that view obviously became unpopular. It was, it was really a wrong view. Uh, and so um, that was um, a view that was, like I said, was very popular uh, even in the uh, evangelical uh, uh, community. Uh, and so, um, anyway, like I said, uh, time has kind of proven that to be a wrong view. Uh, I just think the parable here is really much simpler. I see the fig tree uh, just simply as a truth that we know. Uh, and he says here, uh, the fig tree, when its branches are ready to become tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer is near. 
Uh, you could use the same thing of a cherry blossom tree or a um, apple tree or, it, you know, when spring comes, what follows? Summer. And that's all Christ is making an analogy here. He's saying that when you see these things, when you see the things that we've just talked about, the great tribulation in, in chapter uh, 24 here, when you see those things, you know that Christ will be coming, that that generation then refers to those that are alive during that tribulation period. So his point here is, is that as you see the tribulation, as you see uh, the great tribulation coming, you know that at the end of that time, as, as uh, that seven-year period comes near, you know that Christ will be coming. So the generation he's referring to is a generation that's alive during the tribulation period. It's not some secret generation, but it's simply those who will be alive uh, and have gone through the great tribulation and um, will be there when Christ. So it's, it's, he's helping the disciples know that it will be short when you see the tribulation come, just as a tree buds in the spring and puts forth fruit in the summer, that is what the sign uh, will be uh, to those who are alive to that uh, generation. And then he says, uh, uh, in, uh, when he goes on in verse uh, 36, oh, he says in verse 35, excuse me, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means uh, pass away. Uh, just again, a reminder that even if all the earth is destroyed, as it were, during this tribulation period, this great uproar, the falling of the sun and the stars, and this, uh, all of that happens, um, what remains the same? What's the reminder here, right? My word remains the same. There's, no matter what happens in your life, of course, we can use this for any circumstance, right? No matter what happens in your life, God's word, even if heaven and earth pass away, uh, God's word is still true and is still uh, faithful. It will never pass away. Look at Second uh, Peter uh, 3 with me once. Second Peter 3. And just a couple of verses here, just a reminder. Second um, Peter 3, 10. Peter's speaking of the future. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening for the coming of the day because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, notice here, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter says the same thing that Jesus does. Even if heaven and earth pass away, all these things pass away, our hope is always to the future, always to God's word and always to the new heavens and the new earth uh, in which righteousness dwells. So uh, any thoughts or comments, questions? All right. Well, we're going to close out here with the, uh, these couple of illustrations. In verse 36, 
gives the illustration in the day and the hour. No one knows, even the angels of heaven, but my Father only for the days of Noah. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as the days before the flood, there was eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. He did not know until the flood came and took them away, or they did not know. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then he goes on, uh, gives this illustration here. We'll talk about that in a minute. So the, t- the disciples, if you remember back in verse 3, they were looking for a time and a date. That's what they were asking. When will all these things come? How will we know? And Jesus gives this plain answer here and says, I've showed you all these signs that will happen, but the exact hour and time, uh, he, he noticed here in verse, um, even the angels of heaven don't know, but my Father who is in heaven. Uh, Mark's passage, uh, parallel passage of this, says that even the Son of Man doesn't know. Even Christ himself doesn't know what the day and the time will be. So why did Jesus bring up this uh, idea of Noah? Um, Some have suggested that it has to do with the wickedness of Noah and the time of Noah, and so has the world. as It was wicked in Noah's day, so it will be wicked at the time of Christ and, or the time Christ returns. I think that's true, but I don't think that's his point here. Um, the warning is um, uh, that the, the, the lost did not believe. That's the warning here. As you see, notice what he says. In the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the day of Noah. Life was going on as usual. Life as it were, case of Ross or Ron. For the unbeliever, even though they might have seen the ark being built, they just, it didn't affect them. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready uh, for when the flood came. And so uh, they were, um, they saw the warnings. Uh, they probably heard Noah preach for 120 years, as the, the scripture says, but they took uh, no flight towards Christ. And so it's just a warning here that uh, there, there are things that will, just in Noah's day, when people ignored all the signs, all the preaching and teaching, so at the time of Christ, there will be uh, this same uh, group of people who will say, this isn't for me. Um, and God uh, will come. Notice what he says in verse, um, uh, did not know the flood came, verse 39, until... It took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. It will be swift, but it will be as though life has continued. All the warnings, the preaching and teaching of the evangelical age, but for many goes unheard of, and they turn their back. And, uh, and so Jesus says, look at what happened in Noah's day. It's going to happen the same way when I return. And then in verses... Uh, Notice here verse uh, 40, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Uh, Many who see this pre-trib, premillennial view try to push this as the rapture. I don't think it has anything to do with the rapture, Uh, and I'll show you why here in a minute. Uh, There is, um, this is, um, I think there was even a movie called The Thief in the Night, if you remember that movie. Where there was, where they used this passage, where one would be taken, one would be uh, be uh, be left on earth. 
uh, again, keep the context in mind here, uh, is that as Jesus warned at the time of Noah to the unbelievers, I think this is a warning to believers to be ready. He's just simply saying here, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Some will be prepared, some will not. And I think it goes over when Dave gets into chapter 25, I think the parable of the ten virgins uh, kind of confirms this. He said, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. It's a reminder when Christ comes back that there will be some who will be believers and some who won't. And uh, for the believer, he's simply saying, be ready, be prepared. Um, and, uh, and I will, as verses 36 and 37 were warning to the unbelievers, I think this is a warning to the believers. Notice what he says in verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know that the hour that the Lord is coming. Be ready, be prepared. Yes, life goes on and it's in the time of Noah, but for us as believers, be reminded that Christ could come at any time, that the things at the end of the age are, uh, could come at any time. We are to be looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are to be watchful and we are to be, um, be ready. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 a minute. And here's how Paul puts it, First uh, Thessalonians 5. Let's just look at 1 through 6. Look how Paul says, but similar to what I think Jesus is saying, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Notice Paul's words here. So that this day should not overtake you as a thief. Should be prepared. Should be ready. You are all sons of light and the sons of the day. You are not in the night nor the darkness. Therefore, do not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober for what? The coming of the Lord. And so Paul picks up really the same thought that Jesus does here in Matthew, and that is be prepared, be ready. Some will be prepared, some will not. And um, when the time comes, uh, it will be um, too late here. And then, um, as I said in verse 44 here, notice, uh, therefore... You also be ready for the Son of Man is coming as an hour that you don't expect. Jesus just reiterates what he's saying, that be prepared, be ready. Don't get caught, as it were, um, not, not prepared uh, for the uh, judgment. I also think um, this is a picture here of uh, Matthew 25, and Dave will get into this later, but... Uh, I think it's also a picture of the sheep and the goats uh, in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Um, and uh, it's be ready. The righteous are to be ready. They are to be working. They are to be diligent, even up until uh, the end of time. And then in verse uh, 46 and 47, notice here, over 45, he says, then who is this... 
Who then is faithful and a wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant to whom his master, when he comes, finds him doing. I think we find the same thing here. It's the same principle. Be doing something. Jesus is addressing the faithful servant, uh, not necessarily their position. He's faithful and wise whom his master made ruler over his household and gives him food in due season. Blessed is that servant whose master, when he comes, finds him doing something, who finds him faithful. And so Jesus is saying, yes, look for the signs of the time. Here they are, this leading up to the tribulation and up to verses 14, the time of the tribulation from 15 to 31, You'll that, that tribulation period. But be prepared, be ready for when Christ will come and uh, they will uh, receive a great reward. Look at verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, finds him doing. I love 47. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. There's the promise, right, that the righteous will inherit the earth. The righteous will uh, be blessed beyond blessing. Ephesians, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Uh, listen to what he says about the blessing of the saints. Ephesians 2, let me find it here, uh, four, verse 4. And this is after he talks about us being children of wrath. He says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive with Christ, by grace you are saved. That's the salvation. But notice this, what he goes on to say, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. Jesus is saying the same thing here in Matthew 24, that the faithful servant will be rewarded with great things, great things that he can't even imagine. Paul says, we'll be raised up to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We'll be joint heirs with him. Uh, It's not just salvation, but it's the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. And then he says here, but if that evil servant say in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on that day when he is not looking for him, and in an hour which he is not aware. And he says, I will cut him into an appointed, and a two and appoint him with a portion of the hypocrites, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So notice the contrast here in verse 48 between the believer and the unbeliever, but if the evil servant, there's the good servant that will receive the reward, will receive the blessings in Jesus Christ in verse 48, the uh, evil servant, um, or verse 49, uh, his coming uh, is, uh, even if he thinks his coming is a long way off, judgment will come. There will be a day of, of, uh, of judgment here. Uh, it is not true of all unbelievers that they beat the ungodly and they treat men evilly, evil, but the idea is here that, uh, that they are not in Christ uh, and that they are not moved by the sudden 
return of Christ. So here's a call to unbelievers, as in the time of Noah, and even in today, the, the, the Bible would call the unbelievers to look and be, uh, to look for the coming of Christ and the turn in repentance and faith. Um, they continue um, to uh, live on earth as if nothing's going to happen in verse 47. If your uh, evil servants say in the heart, my master is delaying his coming, Christ isn't coming back. That's a bunch of uh, wise tales. That's a bunch of religious stuff. He's not coming back. People just live like life is going on. This is a, hu- a great warning here to them. Uh, verse 50, notice what he says here. Uh, the master of that servant will come, and he is, even though he's not looking for him, in an hour that he is not aware of. Christ is going to return, and you're an unbeliever. If you're a believer, be ready, be prepared. If you're an unbeliever, take warning here. Uh, You may be a skeptic, an atheist, agnostic, whatever it is, but Jesus is saying, um, and he's using the analogy here of this servant, I'm going to return, and um, you better be ready. Um, And there will be a time of judgment. Notice verse 51 here. Um, It's not just a, um, you're going to die and go to hell and party for eternity with your friends and family. Uh, This is a very strong warning about uh, what will happen. He says, and we'll cut him in two. The word literally means to cut in half, to physically sever. I think it means that, it has the idea of severe death, that there will be no doubt that this person is an unbeliever, and appoint him a portion with the hypocrites. Uh, the picture here is of one being cut in half, the idea, again, of no hope. And the hypocrites, who do you think the hypocrites represent? Who? Yeah, right. Yeah. Christ takes professing believers who are really unbelievers and, pro- and gets, gives them the same punishment as those who have never professed Christ and have beat their fellow servants. At the very end, they all receive the same punishment. Um, I think these are very sobering words here to uh, be reminded. So uh, there's a warning for the unbeliever. There's a warning for the professing believer here that, uh, that there will be, notice the last portion here, there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Uh, This is certainly a picture of the horrors of hell. So as we close out 24, um, I hope it's been somewhat profitable to you. Uh, Try to uh, do my best to make uh, a case uh, for uh, for this view of eschatology. So uh, any final comments or questions, John?
So regardless of your eschatology, are you in Christ? That's the big question, right? So, all right. Let's worship together. Thanks.